0: Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle within us the fire of your love, and may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. While living in Bryan College Station in the late 1980s and early 90s, I worshiped at A&M United Methodist Church. I was part of a very active, very large singles ministry. And it was there that I met Virgie, who, turns out, is still a very close friend of mine. I tell you about Virgie because she has an infectious laugh. And most of the time when we talk to each other, we spend part of the time laughing. I can still hear her laughing as she talked about a radio ad. Now, I'm really aging myself there to talk about radio ads. In North Bryan, there was a business that had taken over an old gas station. It was called House of Tires. And the entire place had stacks upon stacks upon stacks of tires. And I was even amazed that anybody could pull in there to get their tires, to buy their tires or to get them changed. There were so many stacks of tires. The owner advertised his business and talked himself in the ad and emphasized that they had great discounts on their tires and concluded his advertisement with the words, I'd give them away, but my wife won't let me. Well, Virgie loved that ad and laughed and laughed about it. I'm sure, since she's online today, that she is laughing right now. (laughs) Of course, so are we. Of course, it was something to laugh about, wasn't it? Whoa, a man who would give away the very thing that allowed him to have his business? Whoa on that. Or perhaps we laugh because it is uncomfortable to think about that kind of generosity. Then, of course, there is today's gospel reading in which there is much to be uncomfortable about. Oh, we get the blessings. That's okay, but when Jesus gets to the woes, we want to say, whoa, Jesus, don't go there. Well, we tend to be much more familiar with the blessings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount and the Gospel of Matthew, don't we? Interestingly, Matthew's teaching does not include the woes. It also softens the language a bit, as in, blessed are the poor in spirit, which gives us an out with the poor, doesn't it? We can also be poor because we are poor in spirit. We don't have to pay attention to that over there. In Luke, Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, it's hard going. But it gives us some important things to consider. From the opening pages of Luke's Gospel... We hear the care that Luke has for the poor. We hear Mary, who has just been told she will bear a child of the Most High God, sing a song of magnificence, so magnificent that that is what we call it, because it begins with the word. I magnify the Lord. The magnificat is what we call it. Mary sings that song that reminds us that the poor will be lifted up and the wealthy will be brought low. The Sermon on the Plain, however, gives us some interesting ideas about all of this. The writer is clear that wealth and power isolates us from God and from each other, and especially from the poor who are the rest of humanity, right? But it is equally important to note that Luke doesn't consider wealth and people of wealth to be beyond redemption. I mean, the other lesson assigned for today is the story of Zacchaeus, a tax collector, whom Jesus calls down from a tree where he has perched to see Jesus and and asks to come to his home to share a meal. Or how about Lydia, the woman who traded in purple, fine cloths, and who did so in order to fund the ministry across the Mediterranean of the Apostle Paul? Well, it is also important to realize that this particular teaching of Jesus is directed at his closest followers, the ones we call the disciples. This wasn't for the crowds. This was for the people who were all in. They said they were all in. When Jesus said, come and follow me, they got up and went, right? Well, maybe that's a lot like us. I mean, we're here today, after all. We're online today, after all. We come periodically or many Sundays a year to live into, to hear about and live into this calling of Jesus, this claim of Jesus upon our lives. It's also interesting to note that the language of the blessings and woes, at least in English, can be interpreted as um, first person. Blessed are you, Joe. Woe to you, Joe, is to be faced with a personal responsibility. But in the Greek, it is plural. It is second person plural. So to read it as the Greek offers it in second person is to recognize that this is not just about me. It's not just about you. It's about all of us. Blessed are you, the people of God. Woe to you, the people of God. And of course, the big question then is, what does this tell tell us about who God is? Up till now, we've talked about how we respond, but what does this tell us about the God We come to worship. What does it mean to worship God? A God of those who have nothing but God. What does it mean to worship God? A God who sees all of us as poor, including all of us who would protect ourselves with all our possessions. What follows then are examples of how we're supposed to to live. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. When you're struck, offer the other cheek. And do not withhold even your last shirt if someone has taken your coat. Oh, and give to everyone who asks of you. Remember the house of tires owner? Give to everyone who asks of you. And if you give it, then don't ask for it back. Well, if you're squirming, join the club. No one really likes to hear this. I mean, really? Maybe it's comfortable here in those church. But once we get out the door, do we really want to have to think about that? Loving your enemies? Caring for those who have hurt you? And all the other stuff that comes with it? Now, I know you didn't come to church today thinking Maybe at church today, I'll be challenged. (laughs) Maybe I'll be asked to love my enemies. I don't think that's what you came thinking today. But this is what Jesus asks of his closest followers. And it's complicated. We all know this is complicated. What does it mean to love those who have hurt you? We know enough now about relationships that we know that that can be a very dangerous thing. So loving doesn't mean that we have to be in relationship. It just means we have to learn to love. So, and all that's very hard. And it's very, very complicated. I know that. but what I think this is really asking of us is to think for a moment about what we value. What do we value? Does it offer blessings? Does it offer woes? How are we going to live with all of this? Maybe we will wrestle like Jacob did with the angel until we can get a blessing from it. And that might be a long wrestling. And that's okay. Okay. How are we going to live? As you know, we have a Wednesday evening book club online, uh, and right now we're not studying a book as much as we're studying the book. Uh, We're taking the sermon scripture for the next Sunday and talking about it. So we talked about this scripture on Sunday, and we all talked about how hard this is. How do you make sense of it? How do you live into it? Well, Mona Maylard, who is one of our regulars and is one of our online members who lives in Houston. Well, I I should back up. You know, At the end of the night, when we were getting ready to sign off, we all talked about how we get into these conversations and we get all whipped up and all kind of energy flowing through our bodies and our heads and our brains. And so it's hard to go to sleep. It is. And and for extroverts especially, because once you've been around a bunch of people, you just boom. You know? I mean, you just have a hard time settling down. So, uh, and Mona's not an extrovert, I don't think, but she was having a hard time settling down. Her brain was going, 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 so she emailed me. And uh she said, I just couldn't go to sleep. She was supposed to leave at like four o'clock in the morning for a trip the next day, and she just couldn't. So she sent me the email to try to get it out of her head so that she could go to sleep, and I hope she did. But She wrote this email to me and and I want to paraphrase it for you because I think it's a good lesson. She writes, what if the woes are our sorrow and God's sorrow? Because we miss the joy of giving, feeding, weeping, and lifting others up. And all of those things create a closer bond with others and with God. So God loses and we all lose when we don't practice these teachings. Hopefully, Listen to this. Hopefully, we strive to be saints to someone. By the deeds we do, the witness we give, and change a life or a relationship with God for that person. Maybe that's what this lesson is all about. Heartfelt giving and joy blesses us and others and God. And most of all, joy begets joy. So, on this All Saints Sunday, we get a chance to remember those who made a difference for us. I mean, they were perhaps family or close family of choice. They were the people who offered us a kind word when we needed it, a shoulder to cry on, a prayer, a hot meal. And that changed lives, our lives, and changed the culture in which we swim and the world in which we live. You see, I believe God wants our joy. And Jesus was trying to teach us that, that we can go about being ourselves, and you know what? God's going to love you anyway, just exactly how you are, but God wants our joy God wants us to find what it means to be to care for the poor, to care for the brokenhearted, to remember those who have transformed our lives. You know, um, this is the desire of God's heart, that we get a running jump into heaven by doing and being the things that Jesus is trying to teach us. We get a chance to practice right here and now, in this place, in this time, to be the people God has created and desires us to be long before we make that journey, that step into the heavenly realm. Well, upon graduating from Perkins School of Theology in Dallas, I returned to Bryan College Station in 1994, and Virgie and her husband Jim, and I think their kids were grown by then, but uh, they are there and still live there. And then in 1997, I answered a call to Pastor Friends Congregational Church, United Church of Christ, in College Station. So I was there on November 18th, 1999, when the Texas A&M University bonfire that was under construction Collapsed, killing 17 Aggies, young people, and injuring 27 more. Among those killed was Timothy Curley. And I raise his name for you not because he was more important than any of the others, but because of the story his mother, Janet Curley, wrote about when speaking of his death in her self-published book. Tim was not initially killed by the collapse, but was rushed to the hospital, allowing his parents to ar- arrive in time to speak with him. As she sat beside his bed, touching him lightly because his wounds were over his whole body, she said uh, that she would always love him. She would always and forever. Love him. And she said, You know, when God calls you home, in that moment, you will wonder why you stayed so long. In her final conversation with Tim, Janet Curley expressed our greatest truth a truth expressed by the Apostle Paul in our first reading, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds to meet Christ in the air, and so we will be with God forever. You see, there is life, and then there is life. We only momentarily step into death, but in the blink of an eye, we live again. And for those who have gone before us, We are only momentarily separated from them. For them, time does not exist as it does for us. And some of our best living will be done through those we leave behind. Listen to that. And all those we have loved and who have joined God's eternity before us are counting on them they're counting on our best living because they are with us even now. Jesus was counting and is counting on that too, our best living. This is the good news of the eternal love of God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives now and forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.